You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. There was a phenomenon I witnessed when I was in Bible college, and the phenomenon was always associated with the end of the school year. And our school year got out in, in April, and that's only because we worked harder the rest of the months of the year than most people did, so we could get out a little earlier. Our school year ended in April, and come around the middle of February, end of February, going into March, and all the way through the end of the school year, there was always this uh, hypersensitive ramped up tension in every student's life. Whether you were just finishing the end of first year or whether you were going into second year or whether you were at the end of your third year or even for fourth year students, everything seemed to be, everybody seemed to be more sensitive and more tense over this question, what am I going to do after Bible college? How am I going to serve the Lord? Does the Lord want me to become a missionary? Does the Lord want me to go into some quote-unquote secular vocation where I work at a job and in a business? Or does the Lord want me to start my own business? Does the Lord want me to go back to work for the man I was working for before I came to school? Does the Lord want me to be a pastor, a preacher, a teacher? If the Lord wants me to be a missionary, which missionary field do I go to? You see, every week, for about three days out of the week, we would have a different mission organization come into the school. And during our chapel hour, which was from 9 to 9.40, the mission, this missionary would give a presentation of their ministry and their mission just to acquaint all of the students with the uh, all of the different ministry opportunities, the mission fields and the mission organizations that were out there. Uh, New Tribes was there. The Northern Canada Evangelical Mission was there. American Missionary Fellowship. Everything you could conceive of was there. Every possible ministry. And then to top it all off, in about the spring of every year, somewhere around March, we would have what was called missions conference, and we'd have missionaries come in, and they would all set up their booths and their tables, and they would put up their displays and hand out their literature, and it was a, um, you know, they were trying to get recruits. I forget what the word is, but they were trying to get recruits for their ministry or their mission. And all the students would just be racked with this guilt and racked with this tension. How do I know if the Lord wants me to do this or to do that, and I feel called to ministry, or I don't feel called to ministry, should I feel guilty? If I feel called to ministry, which ministry is it? If I have an opportunity to pastor two churches, which one should I choose? Or two mission fields, which mission field should I go on? Every student, almost without exception, wrestled through all of those issues. And come about March, we'd meet together for prayer in the dorm or in the chapel, and Man, I need you to pray for me, one of them would say. I, I, I don't know whether I should be a missionary or if I should do this or should I go to Borneo or should I go to America and be a missionary? What am I going to do? And so we would pray and pray and pray. God, give us wisdom. God, show us your will. And there was always something that was lacking in the whole process of understanding what it is that God wants us to do and how it is that God wants us to serve. And I'm really, to be honest with you, quite surprised that in all of that anxiety and all of the worry and all of the prayer and everything that went into all of that, 
that we didn't have a couple of Bible profs who would sort of stand up in chapel and set the record straight as to how do you know where God wants you to serve and what God wants you to do. Now, it wasn't all that unclear to Paul and Barnabas. Acts chapter 13. Now, it wasn't unclear to Paul because on the road to Demaeus with the bright light laying down in the dust and hearing the voice of Jesus who said, Paul, I'm appointing you as an apostle to the Gentiles and I'll show you how much you're going to suffer for my name's sake. He knew what his calling was. He knew what Christ had saved him for. And Paul could honestly say that he had been, sa- he had been saved to service. Whatever it was that the Lord wanted done, Paul was going to do that. But there was another incident later on in Acts chapter 13 where the Spirit of God made it clear to Paul and to Barnabas what their mission was to be, what their ministry was to be, where they were to go, when were they to do it, and how they were to do it. And although you are not going to listen and hear the Spirit of God speak to you in some still small voice or see some skywriting in the sky... There are some enduring principles from Acts chapter 13 for you and I about discerning what the will of the Lord is and how God moves His people into areas of service. Acts chapter 13, we're just going to cover the first three verses. Well, up in verse 25, Paul and Barnabas return back to Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission of taking that love offering from back in chapter 11 up to Jerusalem from the church in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas returned from Jerusalem when they fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. Verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Three things I want you to notice here, folks. How God moves His people and how the Holy Spirit calls His people. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit calls gifted men and women. Up in verse 25, we have Saul and Barnabas leaving Jerusalem, going back down to the church in Antioch. They're returning to their ministry there where they had taught multitudes of men and women in the church in Antioch. And in the church in Antioch, there are some gifted teachers. And when Paul and Barnabas leave Jerusalem and go down to Antioch, they take with them a young man named John Mark. That's a significant detail because John Mark is going to go on them, or go on the first missionary journey with them in Acts chapter 13. John Mark was the young man whose mother was Mary. She had the house in Jerusalem. Do you remember when Peter was released from prison and Peter went to the house of Mary where they were praying? That was Mark's mother. Uh, Paul calls John Mark Barnabas's cousin in Colossians chapter 4. That was Barnabas's aunt who owned that home. So John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. And when John Mark sees his cousin Barnabas and Saul leave to go down to Antioch, he wants to go along. Maybe John Mark or maybe Barnabas and Saul saw something in John Mark that made them say, this guy could be useful to us in Antioch. However it is, they bring him down to the church at Antioch. And then chapter 13 verse 1 begins by showing us who it was that was in leadership positions in the church at Antioch. Now read that list of names. There were prophets and teachers. A prophet's responsibility was twofold, to foretell and to foretell. They were to foretell, that is to predict certain events which they did, like Agabus did with the famine that struck Judea and Jerusalem, like Agabus did when he grabbed Paul's belt and said, the man that owns this belt will be bound when he gets to Jerusalem. Those were sort of practical revelations that prophets sometimes gave. 
They also had the responsibility of proclaiming God's truth. They were, the closest modern day parallel would be a preacher. They had the responsibility of proclaiming God's truth, whether it was already being revealed, already had been revealed, or whether it was new revelation. They proclaimed truth. The teacher had the responsibility of taking already revealed truth and instructing the congregation as to the meaning of the already revealed truth. There's some overlap in those two offices. And Luke doesn't tell us which one of these men were prophets and which one of them were teachers. Just that there were prophets and teachers, and he names five of them. Two of those names you're already familiar with. Saul, who is at the bottom of that list, for I don't know what reason. I would have put him at the top of the list. If you were here last Sunday, you know how I feel about Saul. I would have put him at the top of the list. He's at the bottom. Saul was there. We covered him last week. Barnabas was there. Barnabas, his name is Joseph. Real name is Joseph. He was nicknamed Barnabas by the apostles because he was a very encouraging man, and so they nicknamed him Son of Encouragement. He was the one who sold land and brought it to the apostles' feet and gave the proceeds to them so that they could distribute them to the needs of the poor. It was Barnabas who took a chance on Saul after Saul's conversion when Saul came into Jerusalem and nobody wanted anything to do with him, none of his old friends, none of the Christians. It was Barnabas who, in encouragement, came alongside of Saul and took him next to himself and brought him to the apostles and introduced him. This is the Barnabas who went to Tarsus to look for Saul, brought him back to Antioch, and together they ministered there. Now, there are three other names that you're probably not all too familiar with. Simon, or Simeon, verse 13. Simeon, who's called Niger. His name, Simeon, is a Jewish name. It was a common Jewish name. Niger means black-skinned or black. So he was called Niger. He's likely a black man. Uh, could be from Africa. He is a Gentile with a Jewish name. That's basically what we know of him. He was nicknamed Niger because he was dark-skinned. Maybe from the African region. Probably a Negro. Some people have tried to say, well, this is the Simeon who carried the cross of Jesus in Jerusalem. Not likely. A lot of guys named Simeon. This is probably just another Simeon. Not necessarily the one that carried Jesus' cross. Then there's Lucius from Cyrene. He's from Africa. Cyrene is from the region of Africa. So he's a Gentile who's living in Antioch, ministering in the church there, a prophet and a teacher. Uh, some people have said this is Lucius, which would be the long form for Luke. And so some have suggested that this is the Luke who wrote the book of Acts and later traveled with Paul. Not likely. Lucius was a common name. It's difficult to say that this is the Luke who wrote the book. The third one's name is Menaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, how many times have you read through the book of Acts or read through chapter 13 and you cover that list of five names and then you move on without giving them any thought? There's a detail there which is incredibly significant. Just in that list of names, Menaean, who was brought up with who? Herod the Tetrarch. Now, didn't we just cover some Herods here recently? Brought up with is a word that literally translated means foster brother. One raised in the same household as Herod the Tetrarch. Now, we just covered a Herod back in Acts chapter 12. Remember the one that was eaten by worms? Who can forget him? That was Herod Agrippa. Herod the Tetrarch was Herod Antipas, his uncle, who had the throne before Herod Agrippa did. Herod Antipas, or Herod... Um, the Tetrarch was the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. He was the Herod who oversaw the death of Jesus. Menaean is his foster brother. Menaean was brought up in the same household with Herod, the Tetrarch. They were raised together. Which means that Menaean was raised in the home of Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great? He was the one who had all of the two-year-old and below infants slaughtered near Bethlehem to try and get to try and kill Jesus. 
Herod the Great was that bloodthirsty tyrant who murdered one of his wife and three of his sons. That's the home that Manan grew up in. That's his family background. He grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. His foster father tried to kill Jesus. His foster brother did kill Jesus. Not only did he kill the Son of God, his foster brother killed the prophet of God. And yet look at the mystery of divine grace. Here is a man who's raised in the household of Herod the Great as a foster brother to Herod the Tetrarch. He is an aristocrat and he's in the church as a prophet and a teacher serving alongside of Paul and Barnabas. Now look at that leadership team. You have a Jerusalem Jew, Barnabas. You have a black man, Simeon. You have somebody from Africa, that's Lucius. You have an aristocrat, Manan, and you have an ex-Pharisee. That's quite a diversified leadership, isn't it? Such was the leadership in Jerusalem. Now, there are two reasons why we have the list of names. Number one, Luke wants to show us that in the church at Antioch, the Holy Spirit had a whole pool of people that he could have chosen for this ministry. He was not desperate for leaders. There was at least five of them that he gives us who are ably qualified to be called. But the Spirit of God chose two of them. Not all five, not three, not four, not one. The Spirit of God chose two out of that five. So there's a pool of men that the Spirit of God can choose to move on to another ministry. The second reason Luke includes that is so that you and I know that when Paul and Barnabas leave, they didn't leave the church without gifted and qualified men to be there to raise up more disciples and to do the teaching and the preaching and the shepherding of the church. The church was left in good hands, even though the Spirit of God chose and called their two best to the mission field. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And if you were in that church, you would have said, no, Lord, anybody but Barnabas and Saul. Take Lucius, take Manan. I mean, Manan, he's dispensable. Take Simeon, not Paul and Barnabas. The Spirit of God took the two best men that the church had but didn't leave the church shorthanded. There were other men who filled in. Now what I want you to notice here, and this is the principle, the calling of God always goes along with the giftedness of God. You notice that in verse 13? It's all about these prophets and teachers who were gifts to the church. Men who were given spiritual gifts of prophesying and teaching. They were pastors, shepherds, teachers, proclaimers of God's truth, preachers. These were the men that were in the church. And when the Lord said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, he chose two gifted men. In other words, he chose two men who had been gifted to serve in the capacity that he was about to send these men on in service. The gifts of God always go with the calling of God. An individual who says, I'm called to be a pastor, but he can't preach. He's lying. The man who says, I'm called to be a teacher, but he doesn't have the gift, doesn't enjoy teaching, doesn't enjoy studying, can't talk in front of people. Can't get up and teach anything. He's lying. It's not called to do that. You are called to serve where God has gifted you to serve. And what Luke is showing us is, Paul and Barnabas had gifts. They were prophets. They were teachers. And out of that pool of men, God said, I have gifted men. And I'm going to take those gifted men and I'm going to plug them into service in a capacity in which their gifts and abilities can be used. The giftedness of God always matches up with the calling of God. God will call you to serve in the capacity in which He has gifted you. But how do I know what my gift is? Isn't that the big question? Kids would line up in Bible college, pray that God would reveal to me what He wants me to do. Pray that God would reveal to me what my spiritual gift is. It was another one that we got quite often. 
Uh, they weren't serving. They weren't doing anything of use. They were just sitting in classrooms studying and listening and learning and writing and testing and passing their tests. Most of them not involved in any kind of practical service, really, on a week-to-week basis that involved any kind of spending of themselves for anybody. And praying, God, show me what my gift is so I know how to serve you. Because we at least understood this much. God is going to call me to do something that He has gifted me to do. And whatever He has gifted me to do, sure enough, if I'm going to be called, He's going to give me something that is in accordance with my gift. The Holy Spirit calls gifted men and women. Now listen, every single individual who's sitting here in this sanctuary today who has trusted Christ for salvation and been regenerated by the Holy Spirit has a spiritual gift. No exceptions. I don't necessarily know what your spiritual gift is, but I know that God has gifted you because the minute you receive the Spirit of God, you receive also a special capacity by which you can minister or be a vessel of the Holy Spirit to other people. It might be encouragement, it might be leadership, it might be administration, it might be preaching, it might be teaching, it might be the gift of helps. It might be sending flowers to people or cards to people. It might be baking cookies for kids. Whatever it is, the Spirit of God has given to you a special capacity, a special porthole by which He can minister through you to other people. So that's your spiritual gift. And every one of you has one. The Holy Spirit calls gifted men and women to service, and all of you have been gifted by the Spirit of God. No exceptions. The only exception is the individual who's never trusted Christ and doesn't know Christ, has never turned from their sin, and never trusted Christ for salvation. If that's you, you don't have the Spirit of God. You've never been saved, so you don't have the spiritual gift. Second thing I want you to notice, not only does the Holy Spirit call gifted men and women, but He calls serving men and women. Look at verse 2. While they were sitting on their rears doing nothing, waiting for the Lord to write His message in the sky and make clear to them and all of the church what it is that they were supposed to do. Is that what you read? While they were ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them. The Spirit of God calls serving men and women to serve Him. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? I mean, how do I know if I'm supposed to serve? You're telling me that I've got to be serving in order to be called to service. No, that's not so much what I'm telling you, other than just that you need to be ministering to the Lord and serving the Lord and doing something for Him, moving, and the Spirit of God will call you to the area of service that He wants you involved in. It was while they were ministering, and the word means to discharge a public duty. It was a word that was used of somebody who would receive a public office, like maybe a treasurer or a secretary, who would discharge the duties of that public office. You and I might say, while they were fulfilling the ministry that God had given to them, it was while they were serving, while they were discharging their duty, while they were doing what they knew God wanted them to do, that is when the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And it was while they were ministering, look at the phrase, To the Lord. Now, in all ministry, nearly all ministry, I can't think of any ministry that goes on within a church that is not, in one sense or another, directed toward other people in the congregation, to other believers. I don't know of anything. Whether it is the ministry of the gift of, even the gift of evangelism is used in the context of training and equipping other believers. They're given to the church for the building up of the body of Christ. 
a pastor teacher, the gift of helps, administration, whatever it is, sweeping the floor, working in Awana, teaching kids in Sunday school. It is all geared toward one another. But Luke lets us in on a little secret. There's another dimension to our ministry. While Paul and Barnabas were ministering to the Lord, does that mean they were shut apart in a closet somewhere, fasting and praying and doing burning incense and being spiritual? No. That means that they were discharging the office of their, the duties of their office. They were preaching, they were teaching, they were shepherding the flock. God had called Paul and Barnabas and Lucius and Simeon and Manaean to the pastoral task. That's what they were doing. They were involved in ministering, but listen, it wasn't to the congregation so much that they were ministering as to the Lord. And what Luke demonstrates to us is that there is an unseen audience for all spiritual ministry, and it is the Lord. Those who preach and teach have an audience with the Lord. Those who teach kids in Sunday school, your audience is the Lord. You minister to the Lord. Not to kids primarily, but to the Lord. You help in Sunday school, you bake cookies, guess what? You bake cookies not for men, but for Christ. Whatever it is that we do, we do to the Lord. That is the direction of all spiritual ministry. Everything I do, everything you do in our ministry, no matter what level it is, no matter what your giftedness is, is ministry directed to the Lord, and He is the audience of all of all of it, because we must stand before Him and give an account. And He sees all of it, and judges the motive, and knows whether or not we have discharged the duties of our office responsibly or not. They were ministering to the Lord when the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul." Friends, if if you want to know, if you want to see God guide you for the future, then you need to serve Him in the present. You can't sit back and do nothing and wait for the Lord to write it in the sky. That's what all the Bible college students were doing. Pray that the Lord would reveal to me which mission field I should go to. Does it really matter which mission field you go to? Pick one. You're saved. You're serving the Lord. You're being obedient to Him. If you feel the call, pick a mission field that you want to go to and go. And just trust the Lord to work out the details. But move. Sometimes you just need to get involved in doing something, anything. And listen, it may not be the thing that you ultimately want to do for service for your whole Christian life. But get involved in serving in some capacity, doing something, and the Lord will manifest your giftedness. He will manifest your calling, and it will be obvious to all. I'll use Jess as an example because Jess is not here, so I can I can talk about him. See, when you don't show up, I talk about you on Sunday mornings, and that's... <laughs> That's my little motivation to make sure everybody comes to church every Sunday because I scan and I look for people who aren't here that I can use as an illustration. When Jess first showed up at church, it was over in the old church building, and he walked in, he and Marcia, and they were there. And, and as they left, they shook hands, said, Good sermon, Pastor. Thank you. I'm Jess. Nice to meet you. And they left. And they came back the next Sunday. After two Sundays, over in the old church building, Jess called me on the phone after that week, and he said, I'd like to take an opportunity to come in sit down and talk with you. So come on in. Sit down. So he came into the office, sat down. We visited for about two hours, and he just asked me all kinds of doctrinal questions. What was my philosophy on this? How did I feel about that? What was my stand on this? Um, we just had a real meeting of the minds and, and, and uh, hearts, a kindred spirit, if you will. And he said to me before he left, he said, I want you to know that we're probably going to make Kootenai Community Church our home church, and I'm going to do anything I can just to serve however I can serve in any capacity that I can serve. I just want to be available to the Lord. I said, great. Well, we can welcome that. I had no idea what his giftedness was. I had really no idea what his background was or how God was going to use him or what type of an individual he was. I said, perfect, just find a place and 
get involved in serving something. So within about a week or two, he signed up to clean the church building. He started cleaning the church. He did that not just once, but for a whole month. And then he did it again the following year. Clean the church building. And then I would see him standing at the back and he'd shake people's hands and ask how they're doing and just started ministering to people and counseling and talking to people and, and inviting people over to his home and opening his house in hospitality. It took him a while to sort of get comfortable in the church, but I was impressed. I thought, here's a man who just shows up. He doesn't walk in and shake my hand and say, hi, I'm Elder. I'm Elder Jess. I'm an elder in the church. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. If you need somebody to teach, I'm your man. Didn't do that. He just said, I want to be able to, available to serve this body in whatever capacity God would use me. So he signed up to clean the church. And it was through his service, his willingness, his availability, that his gift began to manifest itself. And it didn't take long for all of us to realize, this guy's not a janitor, he's an elder. He doesn't just janitor, he elders. He counsels and teaches and loves the flock. And he's here whenever he can be here. Friends, it is in the context of service that God manifests our gifts. And it's obvious to everybody around us. You think Manan and Lucius and Simeon knew what Saul's giftedness was? Just by watching him. Leadership of the church could pick that up. So when the Spirit of God spoke, set apart from me these men, they knew they'd been gifted and called to this capacity. And it was in the ministry to the body and it was in service to one another that that became obvious. God does not take idle Christians off the shelf, dust them off, and commit them to ministry. That's not how it works. God takes men and women who are willing, eager, available, obedient, and active, and He directs them where He wants them to go. So get involved and do something. But friends, if you're going to sit back and wait for writing in the sky like I did in Bible college, you better get comfortable. I had to get comfortable. To this day, I've never seen it written in the sky. Amazing, isn't it? To this day, God uses, or God calls gifted men and women. He calls serving men and women. And the Holy Spirit calls obedient men and women. The Spirit of God said, verse 2 and verse 3, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I've called them. How did the Holy Spirit speak? Is it an audible voice? I think it was likely through one of the prophets. That makes sense in the context, doesn't it? One of the prophets got up and said, this is what the Spirit of God has said to me. We are to set apart Barnabas and Saul to the ministry to which he's called them. That calling came in the context of their giftedness. It came in the context of their service. And it came through the prophets and the teachers and the spiritual leadership of the church. And those gifted and competent and discerning men who were shepherding that church could look at that and say, we sense that this is what the will of God is. And this is what the Spirit of God is leading these men to do. So we will set them apart to that. And they immediately obeyed the Lord. Look at chapter 13, verse 3. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them out. Putting aside all of their bodily wants and needs, they did without food and they committed themselves to prayer. And they prayed for Barnabas and for Saul. They prayed for their ministry. They prayed for the churches that they would plant, for the people that they would come in contact with. They prayed for the productivity of the Word. They prayed for their whole ministry endeavor. And discerning that this was indeed the will of God in prayer, they laid their hands on them and they sent them out. Apoluo is the word, sent out. And it means literally to release them. Because chapter 13 verse 4 says it's the Holy Spirit who sent them out. The church just released them. They cut the strings. 
This is the will of the Spirit. Who are we to stand in the way? And they cut the strings. They let them go. When God moves His people, you let them go. That doesn't mean that there's not a lot of emotional pain that goes on in the church when God moves some of His people on to another ministry. It doesn't mean that those people did not weep and hug and really be disappointed in some sense that this is what the Lord was doing. This was the two best. Paul and Barnabas, they had been there since the beginning of this church in Antioch. Shepherding and pastoring and teaching. They loved these people and these people loved them. But the Spirit of God said, I want these two men. They're gifted for this ministry. I have a calling for them. And I'm moving them over here. And the church said, go. They laid their hands on them and they sent them out. They let them go. They released them to that ministry that God had called them to. Friends, you understand you've got a spiritual gift? You understand that if you have the Spirit, you have a capacity to serve Him? I don't think that your day-to-day job is your ministry. It's not. Don't think that what you do outside here, outside the church, apart from this body, in with your kids or your grandkids or your job or anything else is ministry. Friends, in the technical sense of the term, it's not. God has given you a spiritual gift to serve His body, the church. That's where He's called us to serve. And you have that giftedness. And I would challenge you to use it. Now I'm going to say something a little harsh. I understand that maybe Christian ministry is not for some of you. You know why I would say that? Because some of us here are lazy. Some of us here are selfish. Some of us here love a thousand things more than we love Christ. And serving Him is at the bottom of the list. Some of us here are really not concerned with what our spiritual gift is. We're really not concerned with what the Lord wants us to do with our time, talents, and treasures. And we're really not concerned about the rest of the body. And it doesn't matter what church you go to, this church or another church, it'll be the same thing. You'll love a thousand things more than Christ. Everything will press in. Whatever it is that keeps me from serving the body in the area that God has gifted and called me to serve, it's sin, no matter what it is whether it's my kids, my job, my entertainment, my hobbies, whatever it is that keeps me from serving other believers is sin. He's gifted you, and He expects you to use that gift. So now get involved and do something. Pull a Jess. Just make yourself available. Whatever it is that God has called me to do, I will find something and do it. I'll find some need and fill it. And if you are gifted, and if you are serving, and if you are obedient you will find ample opportunities to serve and you will find that it will not be long at all and the Lord, just like He did with Paul and Barnabas, will push you and guide you and direct you until He gets you right into that niche of service where He wants you. And that, my friends, is where effective spiritual ministry to the Lord takes place. When the Spirit of God calls us to serve in a position where He has gifted us to serve to the glory of Christ. He calls gifted, serving, and obedient men and women to serve Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You for the calling that You've given to us and for the gifts. And the gifts are not ours to use for our own aggrandizement. They are not ours to use in a selfish manner, but to serve and to sacrifice and to pour ourselves out for others. And we would just ask, God, that You would place within us an obedient heart of flesh that is willing to see the need to get involved and to love others more, more than ourselves and to serve Your body, the church for which Christ shed His blood. In his name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.